This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair, and I'm going to talk to you here at the beginning of this to ask a question. So what does minor threat, dag nasty, and bad religion all have in common? Well, they all include our guest today, which is Mr. Brian Baker. And uh, I cannot say enough about Brian. I know I say that a lot, but I'm definitely serious here. I don't feel like this guy gets enough credit for being probably the single most influential guitar player to punk rock as we know it nowadays. Brian brought a double-picked, alternate-picked, galloping, sort of a metal approach to punk rock music with Dag Nasty, and had sort of done that before with Minor Threat when he was a bass player in Minor Threat. He actually did play guitar on the Out of Step record as well. But there was this galloping uh, phrasing that he, in my opinion, just invented and brought it across the board that everyone copied afterwards. So we all owe it to Brian Baker. Um, he's a good friend, which I am humbled to say. 
He is a gear aficionado, a vintage gear aficionado, and has been giving me lots and lots of shit about my gear choices uh, ever since I met him, which is great, because uh, he's usually right, actually. And uh, we'll talk about that. So, please, sit back, enjoy my conversation with Brian Baker. Hello, I am welcome to the Antiheroes Podcast with me, Zach Blair. Uh, today, I'm going to embarrass the gentleman that's sitting here in front of me talking because, like I have said many, many times before, I don't think the uh, the idea that we all know of punk rock guitar would exist the way we know it without my guest today. Definitely the way I play, definitely what I do to make my living, uh, I feel is at least 95% attributed to Mr. Brian Baker, and I have Brian Baker here with me. Hi, Brian. Hello, Zach. How are um, you? I'm fine, and that's, of course, that's very flattering, and I'm grateful, but you do realize that if you're 95% me, then in fact, you're 90% Captain Sensible, which is where I stole from. I'll take that. So there's no original thing going on here. It's really <laughs> just a, you know, I like to call it the happy accident. Sure. But but I disagree with you. And you we've had this discussion before. We might have had this discussion in Japan while we were there with Captain Sensible. <laughs> I think but, we did. I think we did. But <laughs> I think I think to get nerdy about it, which is the exact point of this podcast, you brought in, for lack of a better term, that sort of heavier right hand. And I don't just mean in the Greg Ginn sort of ethos of, of phrasing. I mean picking, as in double picking, as in gallop picking, as in sort of a metal approach, but not offensively metal, even though I'm a metal guy too. It wasn't, it didn't strike you. And I'm, I'm speaking more so about Dag Nasty, but it didn't go, oh, you didn't go, oh, this is a metal guitar sound. You've managed to somehow create a very punk rock aesthetic to it, but it was rooted in metal. And then everyone to this day copies that. Well, it was it was the damned meets Iron Maiden, exactly that kind of like you know exactly. that that era British kind of you know seventies early eighties stuff because I loved that and yeah. it was really fun to play, but I never you know then then Metallica kind of s- stepped that whole thing up and I really wasn't I kind of missed that wave because I was before that so I wasn't right. really I mean I you know I I wasn't I didn't get a chance to be influenced by that particular kind of metal that was developing, you know, it was, I know it was happening. I just wasn't paying attention like sure. in the early eighties, but by the time we all knew about it, you know, for me, it was later eighties and it was its own thing. So, well, and that brings another interesting point. Cause I, I can't remember who I was talking to about it, but they were like, Oh yeah. You know, they, I was, I was, you know, bragging about you and talking about you and name dropping you as, as I am want to do. So somebody said, Oh yeah, but you know, Rick Agnew brought in the octave chords, the the thing that we all, you know, that rise against right. d- definitely does. And I was like, no, I'm going to argue with you there too. Brian brought those in as well. And I don't know if Rick might have brought him in before or it was simultaneous, but I mean, you listen to those Dag Nasty records, it's all in the blueprint right there, you know? Well, I don't know either because I love the adolescence and sure. obviously that, that blue record came out. Uh, that was in more minor threat era than Dag Nasty era. Sure. So I had to 
have been influenced by that, but I know I played octave stuff on out of uh, whatever the, the album where I played guitar in my out, out of stuff. I honestly don't know. Right, like, of, it was out of stuff. a red one that I didn't play guitar on. And there's exactly. the one with the sheet, and then there's the one where everyone's sad. Well, Those you know, you can't say the red one because that that first one there was so many colors, Brian. You know. Yeah, but uh, you know the OG one. I, sure. I think it's. Uh, I think people call that filler now. They okay. call it record. They named it in the uh, collecting business. Yeah. yeah. They have some contracts who are, you know, financing heavy mortgages by just selling this stuff yeah. that I would have thrown away. The guys that know that. more about records that we played on than we do. The guys who I. I just decided I wanted to at least have a first pressing of stuff that I was on. So I had to go buy them from people yeah. and they had to explain to me what it was that I wanted. Like, I didn't know. Oh, that one was black. I thought it was red. Well, no, the first ones were black. Brian. Yeah. And you're like, okay. I played on the fucking thing. I didn't, I, you know, at the time that wasn't, it obviously wasn't very important. It was, you just didn't think long-term, but anyway, speaking to the Rick Agnew thing, um, yeah, I dug him. I think also the reason is that Rick Agnew's body of work kind of didn't really, it just was there and then he, it kind of stopped. Like sure. that adolescence thing is so seminal and important, but I've been out there for 40 years doing that same dance. So I'm, it's like the, you know, the winners write the history. Sure. Like it's just that I've, you know, he's yet another person I stole from and yeah. just happened to be. To expose people to well and you're right i mean i guess you're right we're all stealing from from people i stole from liberally from you and stefan um which i've made no you know bones about and i've told you both to your faces together that you guys are the reason why i play and well i also know because i i've watched you play and you play like stefan and me and then some other guy who's yeah some texas guy who crazy like you have you're not just us you've you've got the sack part but it's you know we know thank you i appreciate and we're proud of you son <laughs> go out there that means the Brother whole that means i uh, serious that means the whole world to me and i only laugh because i'm uh i'm it's it's amazing to hear that from you know one of your idols um if not your idol uh but that is the truth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's prevalent and it's, and I wear it on my shirt sleeves and I'm so glad I've had, now I have you and I had Stefan also on this podcast. So let's get into some shit. You and me, I talk about it at the front of this, but you and me, um, I have always received a, a lot of, uh, I'll say shit from you for my gear choices. And you're mm -hmm. usually 100% correct. Actually, you're 100% correct. Not usually you are 100% correct. And well, and you're right. And, and you, you, you talk to me a, a, like a little brother with those sorts of things. And I take that, I take it on. And we did just talk about, I'm switching my gear up a little bit, but that's one of the things I, I set my watch to it. It's my North star checking in with you about gear yeah. and talking about gear. And we, we've had a, I don't know how long a conversation where we don't even see each other for months or even talk. And then it'll just be the conversation just con continues, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Well, that's, it's great. That's what you do with really good friends. And Absolutely. also that's what guys do. I mean, there's no, that's true. You know, like you're, I'm somewhere else. And then, oh, wait, or I just, I feel like texting Zach. Right. And what you we, look, I see the last text was like August 16th, 21, you know, like, what? Yeah. What are we going to talk about? We're not going to talk about fucking sports. You know what I mean? We're going <laughs> to talk about real important shit. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, where are you right now? What's, what's, what, what are you playing right now? 
what I'm playing right now is I am playing a Kemper through a, a powered Kemper head through a, a two Mesa Boogie rectifier sized cabinets. Okay. Um, and I think that they have, I have Europe ones and US ones. I think they all have 65 watt Celestians in them, but okay. I haven't taken the backs off and I've had them for a really long time. These cabinets, the US ones are 15 years old and I think the Euro ones are 20. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I just basically play this powered. I did get a rack one just for to fly uh, and I switched to wireless. Oh. Um, for a number of reasons, but uh, and so I needed a way to, you know. So basically, I was using the uh, the sort of the lunchbox looking toastery, sure, uh, uh, powered Kemper heads, but now I'm in a rack. Okay, doing so with the Kemper now, doesn't it not even matter what speakers you have in the cabs? Well, I don't know because I don't know a lot about this Kemper. Uh, Me neither. What I have. Yeah, what I have is that I'm just I made a model of my favorite head that I own, or I'm sorry, a profile is their language sure. of my favorite head that I own, and it sounded great. And I I put up the the Kemper. This was the first Kemper I had, maybe five or six years ago, and I a beat them, and I base I couldn't really tell the difference at my house. I could not tell the difference. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is yeah. amazing. And so that's that one that I made that day five, six years ago, that's the same file Holy that shit. I use now. So it's, it's just an 800. It's a, you know, it's, it's a 1989 JCM stock, JCM 800 that I bought new. Yeah. Um, it just is the good one. And I, I don't know, it's, it's tubes. It's tubes are probably 10 years old. I don't play it that much now because I mean, Steinkoff uses it when B-Trats come over to practice, but right. it's like, it's kind of dormant. And that's all I've done. So I'm not exploring any of this Kemper language at all. I'm basically, wow. I just have this, you know, this ghost of my amp uh, that I use. And I put them through those cabinets loud. Right. Um, like, I, I don't, front of house, I don't really even know what he's taking. I mean, obviously he's taking something direct. I don't know. Uh, he's probably got, I wish I knew more about it, but I'm sure, sure. that he's using, either he's, He's not just getting a direct signal. He's he's getting the 800, and I'm sure maybe there's some sort of cab modeling, something that's going on in his feed. Otherwise, it would sound like a banjo. So right. you know, I pushed that button before. I'm like, oh, that sounds that doesn't sound good. Right, oh, that right. one. Right. Add that. Add, yes, we want the good sound. Well, so that's what it is. You know, with Mike also as as I previously stated, you know, Kemper sent us some things to try out, and I was like, wow, you know. Um, we profiled my main head and tried it out. I was like, oh my God, that sounds exactly. And you know, there's for guys like you and me that do a lot of flyouts and things, it makes so much sense. But I had I had Brian Baker on my shoulder when I was using it, going, This is stupid. This is new technology. You should not be doing this. And I was like, you know what? You're right, Brian Baker. And then I talked to you and you're like, you know what? I'm kimpering now. And I was like, Brian Baker. You know. Well, you were right, but you see, you're right on all on all counts. Like, I, I mean, I'm certainly a lot more liberal about what's new and old. I don't really care as much, like as far as sure. being a purist. But in a recording studio, I still am because sure. that's what people are hearing. And I'll be the first to admit, like, my Kemper sounds awesome. But if I plug in one of those modded plexis I have an ABM on a stage, the Marshall sounds way better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It sounds better. I know that. 
Yeah. Um, so it's like when you switch to CDs, when they took your, when they were telling you to stop buying records and they were, they were great until you AB'd them right. with you know, Led Zeppelin two that you bought, you know, in high school. Right. Um, so the answer is just don't do that. And it's great. <laughs> and so I just don't like, I've got heads on the stage ready to go just cause they look cool. And they're always, right. you know, I've always carried them. Um, I've got a uh, silver Jubilees are the ones in Europe. Oh, right. And just as long as I never actually test them, I'm fine. Because it's, look, we're talking about what's coming out of the front of the house. And both our bands are big enough where really what we're doing is we're we're just kind of like these ants dancing. And there's this these huge boxes. And that's the front of house guys deciding what people hear. Right. And the subtlety is, that is lost with the Kemper versus the actual head is never, ever going to be something that factors into what's coming through front of house. Yeah, it just is. And if anything, the consistency of the Kempers for him, the sound guy, uh, he's going to thank you for that because he's not dealing with tubes. He's not dealing with weather. He's not dealing with all that shit that could fuck up a regular well, tube head. No, no microphone, no humidity. No microphone. Yeah, exactly. No line, no all of this. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're pretty efficient. I mean, you and I, we have the same job. There's a lot of times we're playing festivals. We don't have a sound check and our guys have 20 minutes. Yep to get the whole thing running. And the last thing they need to do is worry about like, well, I, you know, I use two stereo mics on each of my cabinets and one of them goes to the JTM 45 and I have a Macintosh preamp that I use for <laughs> if I had a shock mounted case and it like, fuck that. Yeah, I want it right. to be efficient as humanly possible. And that's kind of what that whole Kemper thing even came from that. It was just going to places where the rental gear was sketchy. Yeah. And, and I was like, my friend, Chris, you know, Chris from less than Jake. Sure. Custom makes. He's like, yeah. well, I have this camper thing, and it works great when we fly. I think I know a guy there, you know. And yeah. I got one to go to somewhere. I think it was the first time we went to Chile or someplace. Oh wow! Not even no, it was like Costa Rica, like someplace we'd never really been, and it was looking like I don't know. They, it looks like I'm going to see some JCM 2000s over there. Right. No offense, right. it's not me. Right, and so that's why I got it in the first place. So it's just a tool. That's really all it is. Okay. Well, um, oh, well, so we did that. So what, what, what guitars are you currently playing? Uh, well, I am really, I still am into the juniors, which is great. I, uh, I basically have now been bringing juniors out and well, what we would call a Les Paul standard if it was, you know, 1979, but sure. I have, uh, I have two 1955 Les Paul juniors that are in definitely beyond player grade they're in like prayer grade condition yes, uh, yes, yes. one of them i got was a husk like didn't have anything on it the other one's been broken a bunch of times and they have a, a, no original parts but the wood is original um on these guitars yeah. and i put you know and they're amazing they're just uh i use a joe glazer bridge uh i use a seymour duncan uh custom p90 but they're p they're they're dog ears, so they, they make them and they wind them to like 13.6. Uh, I mean, there's a Seymour Duncan's been so cool to me for so many decades. Such great people. And, yeah, they're just awesome. Um, great people. And so there's whatever was written on my page, that's what they, it's always the same, right. which is cool. And then I also, uh, just before COVID, I wanted to get an R9. Like I, I was just kind of, 
I was like, you know what? I don't have like a, I, I didn't have a proper modern new, like 1959 reissue guitar. And right. all, I, all I do on the computer all day is like, you know, guitar forums and stare at reverb and all of this shit. And sure. I was like, God, I don't, I don't even have one. And so I was in Chicago and uh, I got one at Chicago Music Exchange and it was great. And I forgot the whole point of the humbucker is that it's easier than the yeah, P90. for sure. Like, and it, it's like, a, you know, if you want to give yourself a break, uh, you just, you, if you play P9, if you play a junior all the time, you just throw on one of those Cadillacs and you're just like, whoa, look, well, look, those fingers are moving. Look at that. And it's, <laughs> and it's just because the humbucking pickup just covers up so much shit. It, yeah, it makes yeah, you, yeah. you know, the, the P90 really makes you work a little bit harder. I mean, it it's does. almost, you know, I mean, you really want to work hard to play a telly. I mean, if you want to, I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's insanely difficult to play exactly. well. But, uh, so I was kind of taking a vacation and I was just kind of relying on i bought a uh, after i got the r9 and i loved it then i found a gold top that was the same neck and almost exactly the same weight and so i got that one as a backup to the r9 because as you know when you change guitars well you don't just get one right 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 never well now i'm gonna need two of these yeah i have to always that was written that way yeah 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 so there's no uh, one there's no one no no No. but you know it's funny you mentioned that i'm kind of i'm breaking that mold soon I'm kind of realizing you don't need to anymore. Brian Baker. Weird. Revelations. Well, it's, 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 yeah, I'm learning a lot in my uh, <clears throat> middle to late 50s. I'm right. learning a lot of things that I never knew. <laughs> so the answer, the, the short answer is I am playing these juniors and I am playing, uh, I, I play half, okay, I play most of the set with the humbucker guitar. I probably, that's not even fair. I play 30% with a junior and, okay. and 60 with a humbucker guitar the one thing the humbucker guitar is great for is that i have some solos that are on the rhythm pickup that when i was all junior i just said well fuck it you right. know i can't change, i can't do it so just act like they were never written that way but in bad religion I mean, especially like that song sorrow oh, sure. where it's just it's such a rhythm pickup solo and there's a lot of rhythm pickup songs so it's right. been cool to use both now because i can be a little more accurate uh, I think it serves the song better. Sure. But, uh, you know, totally. if I had to go down to just one guitar, it's the junior. 100%. Wow. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, those P90s are unforgiven, man. I mean, it is, it is, if you're going to make a mistake, it's going to be loud, you know? Yeah. There, there's it, no, yeah. They, there's not as much of a comfort zone, but the rewards are so great when sure. you, like, I, I don't even use effects. So if I want a clean sound, I turn down the knob. The volume knob, yeah, and a P90 guitar with the right pot just cleans up so beautifully. It sounds like a piano. Yeah. Humbucker doesn't clean up the same way. You lose no matter what you do with a treble bleed or the right the right pot that some guy in Sweden made at home in 1941 and all that shit. It still just doesn't clean up the same way. Right. And uh, also the P90 is noisy, uh, but I developed a style, uh, a simple solution to that, which was that when I'm not playing the guitar, I turn the volume knob down. Right, and you heard like it a here, folks. Yeah, so it's like even a song like Digital Boy, da da down, da da down. Like I'm, it's right. like a weird dance. I mean, you obviously can't see me, but I'm doing a weird dance. Right. I'm doing a pantomime of a man turning the volume knob up and down very quickly. <laughs> I can attest to that, folks. It's it's quite During amazing. Pause in right. the song. Yeah, and that's uh, it's actually kind of fun because now it's a habit, and I do it on the humbucker guitars for no reason at all. Well, like but- my hand. 
because <laughs> I, I with the humbug with the Les Pauls, you know, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I turn the neck pickup off down and I use the right. toggle switch as a kill switch, you know, and I become, and all of my toggle switches are sort of rubbed to a point almost from like popping it back yeah. and forth, you know? Um, well, that was going to be my next question. You don't use effects. You are sans effects. I am, I am without effects. Without um, effects. And it's, well, first of all, what I'm doing is pretty, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't need a lot to do, any of the bands I'm in, really, uh, it's just this guitar sound is what I'm into. Sure. And anything really spatial or, or important, Ronnie does it front of house. Right. Like, you will hear effects coming off the stage, in Bad Religion especially, but I don't need to play to the effect. Right. So I don't need, it, I don't need to control it myself. I don't have any part that I wrote with a delay, so I need to, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, sure. there's so many... A lot of pedal people, it's not just like they want to collect shiny things. It's because their writing has it uses these tools, but right. mine never has. So I'm comfortable knowing, like, I, in my head, in my in-ears, like, I know that there's a, a repeat on this part I'm playing. I just don't need to hear it right. because I, I trust that it's there. And you don't need to be troubling yourself with remembering to step on this thing during, you know. I, yeah, I mean, I used to do that all the time. I mean, sure. Dagnasty, I had pedals. I had, I had a pretty good-sized pedal board in Bad Religion for a while. Hey, man, uh, the, the solo to Sinister Rouge, my friend, that is a crybaby. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, no, you do. Dude, you're not going to – I don't think – I don't think that's a Wawa pedal. I think really? that's just my – Yeah, I've been asked this before. It's just a weird – I think it's a filter that they put on – I don't think I know. I hear this. I know I didn't have a wah wah pedal. There's just something. There's some junk on that solo. No some kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. That it was done on the board. I've always thought that, and I could have asked you because we're friends. I could have asked you, but that's a great solo. Well, thank you. But yeah. I did. Uh, I used to carry a wah wah pedal too because I was, uh, you know, a lot of times I was really drunk, and the way to get out of it, if you get in a hole in a solo. Click that fucking thing off. Oh, for sure. And, and then you're just you're Jimi Hendrix, and it's done. <laughs> and you're just how you. I am so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. Look at me go because you're not. You don't even have to hit the notes anymore. You're just exactly. using your accelerator. Exactly. Um, and actually, Hetson used to say that was the cheater pedal. It's like, well, you have a cheater pedal. Like, all right. Yeah. yeah I, um, but I kind of got off the boards. I got off pedals. Um, you know, in the last maybe. 10 years or so as Ronnie, our, again, I would always come back to Ron Kimball, but the front of house people have to know that front of house guy is so incredibly important to the band. Well, and uh, Ronnie, because he knows your band so well, you know, he is definitely yeah. the sixth member of your band, you know, for sure. And he's been, he joined the band a day before I did. So we're in our 28th year. Wow. Uh, and Ronnie's just like, you know, you don't have to do that shit. I can do it up here. Yeah, all right. Like, Wait, so you can create those effects with much better equipment than yeah. I'm using. Yeah, for sure. Not, not something with a nine volt battery in it that I can kick over. You're actually <laughs> using something that that has come when you rented an entire public address system yeah. that says like even tied on it or you know. Like right. I, I realized that maybe he, the smart move was to let the guy who knows how to do that do it. Yeah, oh, which is which is. Smart wisdom. You know, I, I, I have a pedal board in front of me, as you well know now. And um, I, I just went for like, 
if Michael Shanker didn't use it, which is probably the Luddite in me, you know, we have all this available to us now and I'm, you know, but five pedals, you know, I'm trying to do everything I need to do with just like, because it's all either a delay or a flange or a boost, you know, so just put those in front of you and you're done, you know. Well, From, so you're in a, but you're in a different band too. Your sure. band, you need to be able to, re- you have a lot more of that shit on your records. Sure. Let's just face For it. Sure. And For in sure. order to serve your songs, you need to have a lot more toe tapping. And maybe it's even, you know, also with other, with your other guys too, you know, maybe that's not something that the front of house guy has time for. Yeah. Uh, religion, we're not, you know, it, it's just a different thing. We're much drier, stripped down. Mike doesn't use any pedals. Yeah. Um, and I will, our live thing isn't really about recreating records. It's about serving songs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's just a little different. I mean, you're, uh, I think you're using the right tools for your job. Thank you. In other words, there's nothing wrong with pedals at all. That reference was to Mike Dimkich, the co-guitar player in Bad Religion, who I'd love to have on here as well. Also just an amazing, amazing guitar player with a really cool uh, career. Uh, Does a lot of really great things. Well, so I don't. Great sense of style too. Great sense of style. Yeah. Great sense of style. He set the bar. We all started to clean up our act when he showed up. I bought a shirt with buttons on. Yeah, you did. And I was really impressed to see it. Uh, you guys stepped it up. You stepped it up. Uh, so I don't have you here for all, all day. I'll ask you a few questions. And uh, what was the history of your own personal playing? So uh, when when did you start? I started uh, playing guitar. The I was seven. I got a guitar for Christmas when I was seven, but I turned eight in February. So basically eight gotcha. is when I started playing guitar, um, when I got really interested in guitar. And it was because I'd gone to see a cover band at our, uh, my, my school in, I don't know what grade you're in when you're seven, two, second? Uh, yes, any, yes, yeah, second. I don't know. Uh, so we would have, the end of the year, our school would have this annual thing called Field Day. And it was where, you know, your parents come and picnics and sack races and sure. all of that stuff. And we had the high school kids, they had a band, like a cover band. And I had never seen live music before right and i was just i was completely blown away by this band and i didn't i didn't participate i didn't i didn't have a chicken leg i didn't participate in anything i just <laughs> stared at this right. band and you know they were probably you know they're probably 14 which meant that they were adults to me because i was so miniature totally and playing smoke on the water but it didn't matter it was the whole thing it just and so i just really uh, that was in june when i'm you know end of school year mm-hmm. and so it took me to christmas to to really piss my parents off enough where they were like, okay, well, we'll get you an inexpensive acoustic guitar and see, yeah. see if you're interested. And so that's when it really started. Um, but I didn't really get, uh, I didn't really get motivated until I was probably about 10 or 11. Yeah. Yeah. Skateboarding was important and I played tennis and, you know, I just didn't, it, it didn't really become a obsession right. until then. I think that's yeah. when it does happen though, you know? I mean, I got a guitar at nine and it wasn't until I was about 11 to where I was just like, I really want to do this. And my version was uh, Foghat played <laughs> like actual Frost. Fog. And by this point, they were probably like, like, you know, Foghat, you know, uh, and they played in the par- mall parking lot in Sherman, Texas. My dad was a radio DJ. That's what he did for a living. So I think he was obligated to go for the radio station because I think his radio station yeah. promoter. And so we went and I was like four or five and I remember just playing air guitar 
which I have a, a real aversion to nowadays. But and I was like, this is what I want to do at that and seeing uh, Woodstock, Pete Townsend. But anyway, this is not about me. Um, <clears throat> I just it's funny. I haven't thought about the Foghat experience until you brought that up, like actually seeing a band for the first time. Right. You know, it's pretty powerful. It I mean, is. Obviously. It's, yeah. a, it's alien. It's like, wait, what they're doing is making this noise, this sound. Um, yeah, and the vibration with the whole thing is, you know. Yeah. So who are your, like, we've already talked a bit about um, uh, Sensible, which I'm sure we could talk right. about forever. But who are your, are, are your influences, your biggest guys, your guys? Well, when I started playing guitar, it was the Beatles. And it was George Harrison because he was, quote, the lead guitar player, unquote. And, uh, at least that was my understanding as a young man before yeah. we, you know, uh, before I became a real true Beatle nut and learned a lot about them. Um, we also shared a birthday. Oh. So I had this thing about George Harrison and I, uh, George Harrison was my first guitar player. And then it was Angus Young. Oh. And then I early on figured out how important Malcolm was. For and sure. then a little Eddie Van Halen. Uh, and then right around there, Dr. No, Bad Brains, all of a sudden I was in this new world of like, Gary was just insane. I had a local guitar player who was amazing. Yeah. And then I had then a Captain Sensible and Nikki Garrett, UK subs was really huge, important to me. Um, so that's kind of when punk, like I walked into punk with, I was still, I played a little bit like. That was a little bit like Angus. I mean, that was my thing. I already had that kind of, I mean, you still hear it now. Yeah, oh, for this, sure. Absolutely. There's this thing that's, that there's this ACDC thing. At least I think it's, it showed me the economy of playing, like, don't play, play as clean as you can, but still have sustain, Yeah, which is something I really pulled from the ACDC, especially the, you know, the early good stuff. Sure. Uh, and also to play with economy. Well, I said, Angus was certainly not, you know, certainly not this ripping dude, but he just, uh, Right. He just has his and note so, choices. His note choices are just so. Yeah. And you know what's funny yeah. is it's, I can hear all of that in your playing. I can hear Angus. I can hear Dr. No. I can hear Captain Sensible. And it's funny. Take a solo like Sinister Rouge. To me, yeah. that sounds like uh, Dr. No mixed with Angus Young, you know? Because it's. Well, you're right. That, that Dr. No, the end of that solo is Dr. No. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and I do, that, I do that trick all the time because it's easy for me to pull off and it sounds harder than it is. That sure. sort of, you know, uh, I don't know what it's called, opposite picking, whatever. Right, right, right. Guys. Sure. What's, do you know the term? You mean, like, you mean like uh, the economy picking thing? Whatever the fuck it's called. Oh, yeah. There's a term for it and I barely know how to do it, but it, it like, it wows them in Dusseldorf. You know what I mean? It's you, like, uh, you could have pulled it's, me, it's my friend. I think one it's one of the. I think you're doing it expertly, uh, well, but, it, but, it, but it's funny you say that because that, and, and how lucky were you that in your hometown, you could go see Dr. No play. Right. And also that I, my hometown was a stop for UK punk bands because right. you're, you're not going to come all the way over just to play New York. And in Washington, DC, there was an established punk scene. So I got to see UK subs and I got to see discharge and I got to see, you know, stuff I didn't even want to see. I got to see yeah. antipasti, you know, yeah. I got, I, mean, I got, to, you know, we had all of this shit coming because we were the Thursday night. If their show, you know, right. in New York was Friday and then you have to go to Boston too. Right. So I was very lucky to see all these people right when I was really starting to become 
become a musician. I didn't know I was, but well, it's also been well, well documented that you were sort of a prodigal uh, kid as well, and even you know your your bandmate, uh, your your old bandmate uh, Ian Mackay told us that that you were kind of the 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 better musician and minor threat that sort of showed them all like what to do, and you were the youngest guy. Um, which, which well, it's, it's kind of him, but, uh, you know, well, I, think it's a true what, I, was, I think the only child thing is the most important here because I just, I did nothing but play guitar. And so, and I was precocious. I mean, I, I jokingly said like, well, I did peak at 12. So it's been a great, <laughs> but, but you know, admittedly, I, I did get good really fast, um, to a point. And that point where I, I, I kind of hit that wall right around when Minor Threat started. So it seemed like I was this sort of, you know, trained virtuoso, but it was just that I knew how to play Eruption. <laughs> you know, it had, had no be- bearing on Minor Threat at all, but, you know, it's right. like the, the bass player, the 15-year-old bass player knows how to play Eruption. It's like, whoa, that's pretty, you know, pretty when everyone else great. That's you know, cool. it was it was like again a little smoke and mirrors. So. Yeah, but it still informs you to to other things. You know, to where, I mean, being that good at fifteen years old, and I mean, you know, knowing how to play something like that, it does broaden your horizons to where then you're bringing things like that to other bands, which of course you ended up doing, and you have been in, you know, at least you know three of not the most, but probably the most seminal punk rock bands of all time. Um, it's, I think it's, it's just the more that. That I was excited about guitar in all of its forms at right. a very early age. So when I come into Minor Threat and a lot of these early bands, you know, we all learn, most of the people were learning to play punk to play in their first punk band. Right. And I had, I'd had all this homework and I was still interested in learning, you know, I just still liked all kinds of music. And um, yeah, it just, I think that was really what it is. I just, by that time, I had already found what I wanted from life. And I wanted to right. play the guitar. I didn't think of it as something that was sustainable or that I would have a job doing it. But right. I found this is one part of me is that I'm always going to be uh, into guitar. This is the thing. Yeah. And we smell yeah. our own. You know, when I first met you, of course, it was a huge deal for me because I'd grown up just wanting to be you. And then to realize that we had that in common and you had this because I've met guys that are like, oh, it's just what I do. And I'm, I, I fish and I do all this other shit. And to meet a guy that had no other hobbies or other, you know, this is what you do. This is who you are. And I was like, that, it me, it me, you know, because I don't, I don't, I don't fucking camp. You know what I mean? Like we, we ended up making our hobbies or our passions, what we also do for a living. And it doesn't mean that that ever went away. If anything, it got, it's exacerbated, um, which is great. I love it. Yeah. And and dumb luck, dumb luck helps too. And right place at right. I mean, I'm not trying, my wife tells me to stop like, you know, being all humble and shit like to a degree right. and i get it because i really do self-deprecate a lot but you can't discount that also we were part of this insane new music that came to fruition when we were young and it did not require training you you learned on the job and right. that's you know a new place to be it was like if you imagine like you're starting you play electric guitar and you already play guitar and then you go see bill haley in the comments right and you're like whoa look at this you know and then it's just we were very lucky to be at that at that point but i'm gonna side with your wife here and yes you are self-deprecating you always have been yeah okay you came of age at a time when punk rock was happening and blah, blah, blah. You also happened to be 
at any given time in the band, whatever that band might have been, that was pushing the envelope of the whole genre. So there's something to be said about that, Brian. I mean, you know, it's I well, think I'm, I'm yeah, it's that I'm really fortunate and flattered. Ah, there's right. a lot of right. There's a lot of right place, right time, dude. I mean, seriously, I agree. Just, I agree. I also think it's because you are you, and I love you, and you're the best. So, let, yeah, I love you too. Well, uh, always and forever, my friend. Um, you're by far the best guitar player in Rise Against. I'm well, thank you, you very much. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll, any compliment from you, I'll take. Um, all right. So let's see. Um, speaking of Angus, is it? Do you think it's the gear or is it you? You know, I think like Angus Young could play into anything. He's going to sound like Angus Young. I sound the same pretty much through everything. And I also just kind of do the same thing in every band, even if the band is different. Right. I'm in, I'm in three bands right now that are really wildly different. Of course, there's Bad Religion. And then I'm in a band called Beach Rats, which is a New Jersey hardcore band with some very good friends of mine who play in the Bouncing Souls. Sure. Uh, and that is a completely different kind of band. And then I'm in a third band called Fake Names uh, with old friends from D.C. who are in Embrace and Girls Against Boys and Soulside and our friend Dennis, who sings for Refused yep. and Invasion. Um, and that's a completely other different thing, too. That's that's I mean, close. That's like power pop from 78. And then, right. I play the same exact way in all of those bands with right. the same guitar set. Right. Um, and it's like I get I can I get cleaner by not hitting the strings as hard or turning the volume down. And I just, you know, I fake effects with the way I choose notes. Right. And it's all the same. like I, I just I, I really think it's just me. I sound the same. I agree. I agree with you because I am a fan of all those bands. As a matter of fact, the Beach Rats, you need to give me that new stuff. You played it for me when we were together last and it's unbelievable. The fake names record got me through COVID and that's no, I am not, you know, so hyperbole that, that record is unbelievable. That band is unbelievable. Um, and you're right. I mean, because I'm a huge fan of yours and also your friend, I, I know it's you playing, you know? And that's really, I think a big thing for guitar players is that's a real goal. Like if you get to be where you're identifiable in everything you do, or people don't, don't know and they go, right. okay, well that's, you know, I mean, it's like, I don't know. I just think it's how that happens is mysterious, but right. I, I definitely do enjoy that. And I'm pretty stoked about it because I haven't worn a name tag that says, may I help you since 1991, <laughs> which is, is, you know, pretty good. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the true sign of success. Uh, it's a good run. Got to tell you. It's a great run, my friend. Year through the years, we could also be like the one that got away. We all have a guitar that got away. So many. What's what so you, many. What's one? What do you got? The main, one huge one to me, and even it's funny because I don't. It's not anything you'd think about me having, but I did not buy for seven hundred dollars a nineteen sixty three Stratocaster, all original, Olympic white, rosewood board. Seven hundred. Uh, Seven hundred dollars, uh, and I. It was probably in nineteen eighty six, and I didn't buy it. 
from Gil Southworth, who okay. has become and is well known as one of the most insane and most incredible guitar dealers in the history of, you know, vintage guitars. Right. He's, he's this crazy dude that everybody, uh, you know, that's, he's a little under the radar now, but he had so much great stuff. And, and that just speaks to the other things that I would, he always had such amazing stuff. And I would walk in to a room and just, I didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. understand it. And, and that was a, that was one that I understood even at the time I was like, wow, you know, that was really cool. Cause I think he was like a little drunk and it was late at night. And he was <laughs> the kind of guy who would, like, who would like flip a coin for a Marshall head. Like, just right. like, oh, fuck it. Yeah. You know, take it. Go. Right. Yeah. And I think the guitar was probably like two grand then or whatever. And I just was like, uh, I, I, I even took it home and brought it back. God, I, like, I, I, I don't know, Gil. I mean, that's, this, this is a, the scale's different than the Gibson scale. It's a little hard. Yeah. So I blew that one pretty hard. What about something you you've played? Like you you did play for a while. Like was it a diagnostic guitar, bad religion, whatever? Well, I wish I had my first Les Paul. That uh, my first Les Paul was a, a probably a seventy three, seventy two. That weird zone of Gibson Les Paul Deluxe, Tobacco Sunburst, ten pounds, Norlin, uh, Pancake Body, oh, and yeah. I got it as a deluxe, and I installed three DiMarzio. Super Distortion. Well, I guess two were dual sounds and one was a Super Distortion. I did the Ace Freely thing with this guitar and I had it in punk. I had it, I played it when I was in government issue during wow. a minor threat hiatus. Wow. Um, and I really wish I still had that guitar. And the worst part about that guitar is that about a few years ago, a guy hit me up after reading an uh, interview I had done and he said like, hey, I think I have your guitar. Your three pickup bass freely first guitar yeah and i was like that's fantastic news that is so awesome and he tells me the story and he grew up right where i grew up and he bought it from a guitar deal i didn't even know what had happened to the guitar but he bought it from my local guitar dealer which told me okay i traded it for some piece of junk yeah that i don't remember having either and uh for a minute there he was uh he, he was like interested in selling it to me or trading it and i was like that's great you know what do you want? He was like, well, do you, do you have a, any Les Paul juniors? And I did have some reissues, but I never in my wildest dreams did I think this guy was going to actually, you know, a couple of years ago say like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll trade you for a $6,000 guitar for this. Albeit like just completely like no strings fucked right. up under, for under the bed. What I know to be probably didn't sound good. It was just the nostalgia really. Oh, for sure. And uh, yeah. So I was like, I offered him, a really great TV model reissue custom shop, you know, and he was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'll keep it. It really, Ugh. it's really important. It's really important to me. It was my first guitar is what he said. And I'm just like, wow, you're, you're fucking great. You're a fucking nice. asshole. Well, I don't know. I have to be kind of nice. Cause I think I, that guitar is still there under that dude's bed. Well, if he's and, listening, please. Yeah. Come if on. he's listening, it's like, I really, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that we had a misunderstanding, but, um, yeah. You know, is this the guitar that when you were when you did play in Minor Threat a guitar, the videos of the five piece? Is that you have a Tobacco Sunburst Lost Paul in that? I have a Cherry Sunburst. You're looking at black and white pictures because it was before oh. they had. That's how long ago it was. Yeah, I, in Minor Threat, I played a gold. I had two different gold tops, and I had at least one Cherry Sunburst. But okay. I, the one 
of the three pickups I didn't play. And I don't, again, I don't know why, why but I did have it in government issue. Okay. I don't know. Because I have a picture of me playing it with John Stab. Okay. It, you know, I don't fucking know. But you know what, man? Just, there is something so alluring about that. That that black and white three humbucker, white, the stark white plastic of the, the custom, yeah. the, the Ace Freely. That I actually did that to a custom, but I got like his is kind of the cream colored plastic, or maybe it was white back then. But I got like white plastic. I had the pit guard. I didn't do the three humbuckers, but I just thought it was so cool looking. It's aesthetics. Yeah, it's all aesthetics. I love that. Think about how classic those styles are. I mean, that's another reason I I love Gibson guitars so much. They're just the Gibson and Fender stuff looks great for a reason. It does. It's because they were designed at a cool time. You're right. All right. I'll let you go, but I did want to say, what's the, and this is a big one and it's probably not an easy answer, but what's the, been the biggest revelation of your guitar playing life? Well, I I don't know. I mean, there've been a number of them lately and I think, you know, certainly, certainly um, the idea that you don't need all these amps and pedals is is, is a later life revelation that I've learned. It's like, you know, it's just the economy of playing. It's the economy of my equipment and also note choice. Like I have never been a speed metal guitar player guy, right. but I found myself even in Bad Religion in like the, the aughts playing more and more of this really complicated stuff because I could, but doesn't necessarily mean I should. Right. And I have gotten, I think I've gotten, I've improved as a player by dialing that back. And Mike Dimkich, the other uh, my good friend and the other guitar player in Bad Religion, is he says it's being parsimonious with the notes. And his goal is to play solos with just one or two notes successfully. Right. And it's like you know he's just he's like you don't give it away. You know you just want you want every note out there to count. And I you know and he's such a fantastic guitar player. But I have taken some of his his advice. And uh, now when I play live, I find it much more satisfying to just kind of bend to things like just, if I can stay on one string and get four or five notes out of it, yeah, it's right. No, you know, it's so much cooler than this blur that I used to do. And also I was never that accurate. I wasn't like, there's so many people who are so great at that. And I've never been really that good at it. I've just been good enough to pull it off. I disagree. But, but as always, I always get great, useful advice from you. And, and that is something I've kind of had that revelation myself lately. I've, I've been, really into David Gilmore lately and, and what an economy player, but every yeah. solo he does is hummable and it's its own part of the music and it's its own and kind of thinking, what would David Gilmore do in this solo, which is more of a lyrical sort of melody sort of situation. And then to have it, you know, you, that advice you just gave, you always uh, are a wealth of knowledge and advice, my friend. I appreciate it. And one other thing I do that, uh, that still freaks people out is that, I make up solos every night. I don't do, I don't have like a set. I mean, there's certain hummable ones that in, in any of the bands that I'm in that you do, sure. but when it's kind of a wild style thing, I don't have one set. And I just say very, very Spicoli about it. Like let's party. <laughs> I, I, will start, I will start. I don't really, I'm even kind of guessy with what note is right from the first fret to the 21st sure. fret. Me, like, me too. And yeah. I'll just, I'll just, go on a note on a string I'm not used to. And if it's a clam, I'll slide it. But if it's close, if it's somehow in involved, 
I'll say, okay, I'm going to start here and see where it goes. And it's like, it's, sure, there's clams, but some nights it's so fucking great. When it works <laughs> out. When it works. And it's a task. And it's like, you know, I've been playing a lot of these songs. If you've been playing, you know, half the set of Bad Religion are songs that I've been playing for 28 years. Mm-hmm. And it's even more, it's so cool to refresh yourself by going into like, let's, you know, let's see what happens if I start this solo on the A string right. on the third <laughs> Right. What what is what key is is that an F? No, it's not quite an F. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll get out of it. I'm working my way out of it. You know, for, yeah, for it's, it, it's today's day and age too. I've done that as well. And then for me, it's like, and there are clams, and you you hear them yourself, like, oh Jesus God. And then for me, it's like I it's like a sore tooth. I you know it's going to be on YouTube probably by the time you get to your bunk, and then you watch it, you're like, oh my God, you know. Don't watch it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you got to free yourself from all that because <laughs> it's not about, it's the people who are in the building that you're having the experience with. Yeah, you're right. And that claim doesn't matter to them and they don't know it's there and it's gone because you moved on. And the YouTube thing is a totally different way to consume what you're doing. You're right. And I don't need to be perfect. It's like, yeah, there's YouTube, watch a bad religion. It's, it's fucking, there's a lot of things that just aren't correct, but it's, like it's not we're not playing for that we're playing for the people that are there that's what's beautiful about the type of music we play you and me that that with that we've we've dedicated our lives to you know um and one of the reasons i've done that is because of you and uh, i know i say all that stuff a lot but it i cannot say it enough and thank you so so much for doing my little humble guitar podcast sir well, it's been a pleasure, and of course, I love talking to you anyway. Uh, so we would have done uh, this anyway. You and I would have done, we this. Would have done this anyway, exactly. No, and I'm sure no, we'll sure. do it again, probably in about 24 hours. Yes, so, we uh, will, because I have I have new information since we've been talking. Yeah. So, uh, thank you, Brian. I love you, buddy, and let's talk soon. Absolutely, Zach. Thank you. I hope I didn't come off as too much of a fanboy on that one. And I say that in all humility. I mean, you know, that Brian Baker is is actually a friend of mine. And that sounds like a weird thing to say. That's very name-droppy on my part to say that. But I still get a little weird talking to him. I get weird talking to him. I got weird talking to Stefan. These are my guys. These were the guys, you know, I never thought I would know. I never thought I'd be able to text these people much less have a conversation with them about dorky guitar stuff for an hour on a podcast that you guys are all listening to i'm such a lucky person but man wasn't that wonderful and isn't he wonderful and like i said like i told him i mean for what i do for a living i play and rise against the band my guitar style in that band is more attributed to brian baker than any other player now, as far as me personally, yeah, I, you know, Brian's my guy, Stefan's my guy, Angus Young, Gary Moore, Michael Shanker, you know, but for what I do for the most part of what I do, it is Brian Baker. And he's such a humble guy, he won't even take that compliment. And he deflects. But that's the real deal right there, man. That's that's the real guys. I'm so lucky to have these people as influences, and I'm so lucky to be able to talk to them, and I'm so lucky you listened to me talk to him that you have listened and tuned in to this podcast the anti-heroes with me zach blair 
Okay, so I, I would be remiss here to not leave you with some Brian Baker guitar music. First of all, we're going to go with Trying from the wig out at Dinko's record by Dag Nasty. In my opinion, Brian is probably the single most influential punk rock guitar player that shaped what we knew as punk rock that, you know, from the 90s on to what we do. Definitely what I do in Rise Against. Specifically, this riff for this song, Trying, listen to Rise Against Survive. You know, it's where we all sort of land when we're writing riffs and what can be known as punk rock guitar music nowadays. In my opinion, the ground zero is Brian Baker. Uh, if you want to go further, some extra credit, check out Values Here on the Can I Say record, also by Dag Nasty. Also check out any record Brian's ever played on. Uh, definitely all the Bad Religion records, the Minor Threat records where he played bass, but he also played guitar on the Out of Step record. So do yourself a favor and check all of that out. Values here on the Can I Say record, he's using octave chords that we all rip off. You know, I mean, there is not a Rise Against song where I don't play some octave chords. And in my opinion, that is because of Brian Baker. So start with the song Trying. It's going to be on the record Wig Out at Dinko's by the band Dag Nasty. Here you go. Here's some Brian Baker. Mm-hmm. 